0: John chapter 11 this morning. John 11 beginning in verse 45. I'm, John 11 beginning in verse 45. And we'll read down to verse 54. John 11:45. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away our place and nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and... Not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews. But went thence into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim there continued with his disciples. I leave off reading there in verse 54. After the resurrection of Lazarus, John records that there are two distinct responses among the people. These two responses are typical of the effect of true Christianity upon mankind throughout history. There's never been a time in which God worked in the midst of his people, in the midst of his creation, that these two responses did not show up. The first response to the work of God in the life of one of his children is that sinners believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John records in verse 45, many believed. The second response is that man-made religion strikes out against true Christianity. John records in verse 46, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And in verse 53, the scripture records, then from that day forth, they took counsel together to put him to death. So we have these two responses. Many believed. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So let's look at them. First, John 11, verse 45. Many believed. Many believed, according to verse 45, when they saw. You see the scriptures there. They had seen the things which Jesus did. They were eyewitnesses to the details relating to the resurrection of Lazarus. They had heard the conversations. They had heard heard our Lord pray. They had heard what he had said at the gravesite. All that's recorded for us here in John 11. They had seen for themselves what took place. They had seen the Lord's tears and his great love for Lazarus. They had seen him as he spoke the truth to Martha and then again to Mary. And they had seen his grief and they had seen his compassion. In other words, John is telling us their faith was not based upon hearsay. Children, this is very important because every one of you in this room this morning have no someone that say they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And those people are saying to you, you also ought to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't want you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ simply upon hearsay. Simply because we say something. Well, my daddy told me to do it, so I'm doing it. Or my preacher told me to do it, so I'm doing it. No, not like that. We don't want that. Their faith was not based upon hearsay. It wasn't something they heard somebody else say... But it was something that they themselves had heard and seen. Their own hearing and their own seeing. They themselves had been there and they had seen what had taken place. And they had heard all the words that were spoken. And because they had seen for themselves, because they had heard for themselves, they believed. And what have I told you, children? I've told you, take up the Word of God and read it for yourself. Search the Scriptures yourself. Don't believe it because I tell you, don't believe it necessarily because your parents tell you. Don't believe it because anybody tells you. Take up the Word of God for yourself. Is what my mother telling me, is what my grandpa telling me, is what the preacher's saying, is it really true? Find out for yourself. Don't just listen to somebody that says, yeah, you ought to believe. And don't listen to someone who says, no, you ought not to believe. Search for yourself. To see for yourself whether these things be true or not. This is not the first time the Scriptures record for us in the Gospel of John that many believed. Nor will it be the last time. In John 7 and verse 31, we read, and many of the people believed on him. And then we read here in John 11 that many believed. And later in John chapter 12, we will read in John 12 verse 11, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away. That is, they went away from their religion and believed on Jesus. Those who had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in John 11 were those Jews that had come to comfort Martha and Mary at the death of their brother Lazarus. They had come out of Jerusalem and from the surrounding area, and they had come to this place called Bethany. By this time in our Lord's ministry, most of Israel had heard or seen what he had said or done. They had seen and heard of him, but many of them had not believed. Many of them had not considered him or his work important. They had not considered him worthy to be investigated or what he said or did to be worthy of an investigation. They did not consider him worthy to be trusted and to be followed because it would mean that they would have to leave their religion and come and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so some of them just shut their ears and eyes, and some of them just walked away and said, I have my own religion, and some said, it's not important to me. But these saw and heard for themselves. And there's a couple of things that I think we can learn from this. First is this. Those who have had much of God's word. And had seen God's word revealed to them. May reject him for a time. These did. They, re- they may reject him for a time. Perhaps for a long time. And some of us who are parents have been praying for a long time for our children. But. But. If it pleases God, at some point, they may be brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like these. Three and a half years of ministry have passed, basically. And now they're believing. Not in the beginning when they first heard, but now they're believing. But the second thing is this. The outward expressions of a person rejecting the gospel message reveal what is taking place in the heart. And we have seen, haven't we, as we've studied the Gospel of John, how the Jews continually reject, starting in chapter 5, how the Jews continually reject Christ and seek to kill him. And every chapter seems to be more intense. And it culminates in chapter 8, then again in chapter 9 and 10 and 11. And they're seeking to kill him. And they just, and we see their expressions on the pages of the Scriptures. And it, grids, it grieves us. And And we see the expressions on people's faces, and it discourages us. But this text can help us. The hardness of a sinner's heart and the outward expression and their attitude toward the gospel does not keep God from saving some sinners. What keeps me preaching the gospel over after all these years of preaching, all the times people have walked away from the church, all the time people have not wanted to listen, is that God can still save sinners. Just keep preaching. Of those who believed in this account, their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ bore much fruit. I want you to skip forward, because we're going to deal with it in a couple of weeks in John chapter 12. But I want you to move forward to John chapter 12 and I want you to look at verses 17 and 18 and what it says about these people that believed. John twelve seventeen says, The people, therefore that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. The people bear record. They're testifying of what they have seen and heard. And verse 18, and it says, For this cause, because the people that had seen and heard these things were bearing record for this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. Because of the testimony of those that believed and was told around Jerusalem, they were coming to Lazarus' house to meet Lazarus and to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And they too were believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. These believers had fruit in their lives, as we'll see in a few weeks. But let's go to verse 46. But, what a contrast. Many believed, but some. Many believed, but some went to the Pharisees. What a contrast is set up here for us. And again, we're taught that there are two responses To the work of God among his people. A great miracle had been performed before them. They too had seen and heard all that had taken place at that time. They had seen others embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior. And trust him with their soul. At that moment when Lazarus was raised and, and people began to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. They had seen it. Yet, they were not moved by any of it. Their hearts were hard and, and even hardened more. Without any other record of the scriptures, we must believe that they remained with a hardened heart to the end and died in their sins, rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. They went to the Pharisees and they told what Jesus had done. That's what it says in verse 46. They went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They told what Jesus had done. No more, no less. Only that which is true. You would think going to the Pharisees and telling them, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the grave, and you should have seen the number of people they called upon his name to save them. You would have thought that message would have just restored the heart of the Pharisees and they would have rejoiced in that. But you see, that's not the purpose of telling the truth. Can the truth be told with the purpose of getting a negative response? Yes. I remember very early in my ministry. I was in the ministry for just four years when this took place. We had a lady in the church that was a little difficult to get along with. I'll just leave it at that. She said she was a believer. We believed her when she said she was a believer. And she was a little difficult to get along with. Okay? People loved her, tried to minister to her, but she was a little difficult. Okay, and We had another lady in the church that claimed to be a Christian and had just come into the church. And she began to talk to a lot of other people about this lady. And I found out about it. So I went to their house. I sat with the husband and the wife. And I said, what you're doing is wrong. You need to stop. You can't be a member of a local church and be sowing discord like that. It's not profitable. It will not help the church. And it will not help you. These are words. I remember to this day. I'm only telling the truth about her. And I looked her straight in the eye and I said, I know an awful lot about you. Do you want me to go around and tell everybody in the church the truth about you? They left the church and took three other families with them. Sad. I'll never forget that conversation. I'm only telling the truth. But you were not telling the truth to help people. You were telling the truth to destroy. And that's what's going on here. These words, do you see that? They told them things, what things Jesus had done. They didn't lie. They didn't twist the message. They told them what Jesus had done. But their message was not one of great joy. It was told to those who hated our Lord and was used as fuel to flame the fire of their hatred toward him. Their telling of true events was not designed to bring their hearts to, to bring the hearts of their hearers to the Lord Jesus Christ. It was designed to hurt the Lord Jesus Christ and to destroy him. It resulted in the enemies of God joining themselves together in order to see that Jesus Christ would be killed. They only told him what Jesus had done. What can we learn from this? Because every word of God is important. There's three things I want to draw your attention to. First, in the world of unbelievers, there are many who are ignorant. And I don't use that word in a mean way. I I use it as it's meant to be used. They simply don't know. They don't understand, okay? There are many who are ignorant. They do not know anything concerning the Lord Jesus Christ or His grace or mercy, they don't know anything. And their hearts, they're still sinners, but they just don't know anything, okay? And, and I've met a lot of people like that, and it's good to start there, because let's start in the beginning, God created you. But secondly, in the world of unbelievers, there are some who though they have heard some things... Yet do not understand the things that they've heard. And do not understand that their salvation is bound up in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're still thinking in terms of their religion or what they can do. Or they're not thinking at all. But they don't understand. Some are just ignorant. They've never been told. Some have been told and they just don't understand. Okay? But there is a third group in the world of unbelievers. There are those whose hearts are fixed upon their religion, upon their idol. These will not be convinced of the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have fixed their hearts upon the darkness of their religion, upon the error of their religion. They see the Lord Jesus Christ and His followers as a threat to their religion, and therefore they seek to kill Him, to destroy Him, to remove Him. It is this third group... That some went to and spoke. In John chapter 12, we, we see their motivation come out. We'll see it later in John 11 too. But John 12 in verse 10, But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. And then in John 12 verse 11, Because, here's the reason why. They not only want to kill Jesus, but they want to kill Lazarus. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away. That is, they went away from Judaism. They were leaving the temple worship. They were leaving the Jews' religion and coming and following the teachings of Christ. And they believed on Christ. And you know, you just can't have that, right? I mean, mean, these religious leaders just can't allow that to take place. The history of Christianity is full of evidence regarding this kind of religious zeal. Let me read a verse to you. 1 John 3.12. I've already brought this verse up before a month or six weeks ago, wherever it was. 1 John 3.12 takes us all the way back to the book of Genesis. Where Cain and Abel are offering sacrifices. In the beginning of times of the world. Not as Cain who was of that wicked one. Cain worked his field and brought his offering to God. We don't know from the Old Testament that he is of that wicked one. But in the New Testament, it is revealed. He did not want God's way of religion. He had his own idea. And so Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. His brother's name was Abel. You know the story, right, children? Every one of you have been read by your parents or grandparents. You've read it in Genesis. Slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? Why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. The answer is given to us in the New Testament. If you're reading the book of Genesis, children, and you think, why did Cain kill Abel? Why did he do that? Why did he get so angry at God favoring Abel that that he thought he ought to kill Abel? Why did he do that? It was because Cain knew that Abel was righteous and that he was not. Now, the question rises, do do people in man-made religions know that true Christians are righteous before God and they are not? You say, Brother Pat, it cannot be that. Read again 1 John 3, 12. There is a third group among unbelieving people. This third group takes a look at true Christianity, understands it, understands if they embrace it, they have to leave their religion and says, we will not do that. Instead, we will kill the true believers. Listen to Matthew 24 and verse 9. Matthew 24 and verse 9. Our Lord speaking to his disciples says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations. Why? Why? For my name's sake. Because you believe in me. Go over to the book of Revelation if you want to follow me there. In verses 9 through 11. Book of Revelation is chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. I want you to see this in the scriptures. I keep impressing upon you that you should take up the word of God for yourself. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar... The souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. John says, I saw the souls of those who were made martyrs, who were killed for following the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 says, And they cried with a loud voice, these souls that are under the altar. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? God, when will you avenge us of being killed for following you? Verse 11. And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until, what? Until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. God says, you wait because there's still others that are going to be killed for following me all the way up to the end. From Cain killing Abel until the end, the righteous are killed for one purpose, following the Lord Jesus Christ. Can it be so? Is that really what the testimony of the scripture is? that they hate our Lord Jesus Christ so much that they would seek to kill Him and His followers. The text in Revelation 6 is the the opening of the fifth seal, five out of seven. And it teaches us that the history of Christianity from its beginning unto its end will include persecution unto death for our Lord's sake. It is irrefutable that all man-made religions have sought to kill true Christians when they preach the truth and sought to lead others out of those false religions. There is nothing that grieves me more or saddens me more, but also reveals the truth of the scripture more than reading Christian history, particularly reading Baptist history. Reading the history of Christianity from the opening pages of the scriptures through the Acts and into the book of the through the epistles and into the book of the Revelation, and then picking up the history written by men from the first, second, third, fourth, all the way to the 21st century to read the history of Christianity as it developed and as it spread, and to see that all man made religions struck out against true Christianity could not tolerate it as the gospel was preached people were coming out of their religions and following the Lord Jesus Christ the religious leaders said we cannot have that they cannot be allowed to think for themselves to live for themselves they cannot be allowed to just follow the scriptures they have to come under our thumb so that we tell them what they are to believe and how they are to live And that's the history of Christianity. And so we see that when they told them what things Jesus had done, the very next verse, verse 47, then gathered the chief priests and Pharisees a council. They gathered themselves together in a council. If you've done any reading of Christian history at all, you know that the history of Christian persecution can be traced back to a multitude of religious councils who gather together, set out these edicts, and then set the sword upon believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The history of Christianity is full of it. It agrees with Psalm 2 that says, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine... A vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his followers. Against the Lord. Saying, let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast away their cords from us. John reveals that chief priests now join hands with the Pharisees in counsel against the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? It means that the highest level of the Jews' religion are now involved in a plan to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. The people had, uh, and the priests had seen him heal on the Sabbath and they tried to kill him. And then the, some of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And, and now, though, the chief priest and all the Sanhedrin gather together. The highest level, at the highest level, from the Pope down, they counsel together to kill Christians. What do we do? They say, "This man doeth many miracles." What are we doing? Is the question. We're doing nothing is the implication. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is actively and continually doing what he's been sent to do. And he's accomplishing things. And he's doing miracles. And he's preaching the gospel. And what are we doing to stop him? That's the implication of the words. In John 12, they'll say, Perceive ye how we prevail nothing? John 12, verse 19. Don't you understand we're not able to stop this? And that's the truth of the matter. You cannot stop the gospel. And that's why they kill the messenger to get a reprieve. But they do not understand and have not learned to this day that the blood of the martyrs is a seed of the gospel. If one is killed, two are raised up in his place. What are we doing? We can't stop this. And then in verse 48, they say, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. If we leave this man alone, if we leave this message alone, people are just going to believe. Even the lost, are you following what's going on here? Even the lost can see the results of true Christianity and its effect upon the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ... They can see it. If we leave this man alone, he's going to be robbing our synagogues of these, and they're going to have believers, and they're going to follow him and his message. If we leave him alone, we will no longer be the religious rulers over our people. If we leave him alone, he he will influence them with his message. If we leave him alone, he will continue to show them the error of our religion and the truth of the word of God, and they will be set free to follow him. We can't leave him alone. We can't leave the gospel alone. We have to stop it some way. That's the message from the leadership of man-made religion. Again, what can we learn from the words of these religious leaders? There are three things I want to set before you. First, some who make up man-made religion are ignorant. I've already mentioned that. They participate out of convenience or duty, but not out of conviction. And when faced with God's Word, many of them will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some also who may have studied their religion, been somewhat more devout embrace their religion on the basis of what they have studied about it. And then they take their religion and their doctrines of their religion and uh, they compare it with the word of God. Like I did with Catholicism. Uh, my priest told me this, but the Word of God says this. My priest told me this, but the Word of God says this, and and i 'm torn between these two things and and the conclusion is i 'm going to have to follow the Word of God and to compare their religion with the Word of God and when faced with god 's word, many of them believe and leave their religion we 've seen it i 've seen it in my ministry we 're Catholics and and Protestants and Southern Baptists and leave their religion and come to understand truth. But thirdly, there are many, especially among the leadership, who not only know the doctrines of their religion, but who know that it is error when they compare it to the Word of God they admit that what they are doing is not found in the scriptures they do it anyway they know it's error they admit it i've i've passed out literature in this assembly to show you people in history admitting they know the scriptures do not teach the things that they do but they do them anyway Yet despite knowing what the Word of God says, they remain committed to their religion and to their religious practices. I've seen this among Catholics. When I've talked to priests, I've seen this among Protestants where, well, I don't care what you say, Brother Pat, but, you know, I'm still going to have my children baptized. And I I told you the story, the man that I said, as soon as you can show me book, chapter, and verse, I will follow it. Five years later, he came back and thanked me for challenging him to go to the scriptures to see if his religion was true or not. I've seen it among Baptists who hold to an easy believism message. I've seen it among Charismatics. I've seen it where when faced with the Word of God, they either, I've got to study this, or no way, and they just strike out. The history of the persecution of Christians throughout time proves that what I'm saying is true. The chief priests and the Pharisees belong to that third group. Their words reveal their heart. They say in verse 48, If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. They will take away our place, our place of authority. Here is the root of the whole issue with them. Religious leaders lose their place of authority if the members of their religion are allowed to believe the word of God alone. How many times have I told you, don't believe what I say, search for yourself. How many times? Thousands. I've said that. They're not thinking about the eternal consequence of their man made message on the souls of those that follow them. They're not thinking about that, they're thinking about their place. They're not seeking the glory of God first and foremost in all that they are doing. They're not talking about that. They're talking about their place. The Romans will come and take away our place. They're not even thinking about their nation first. Did you catch that? The Romans will come and take away our place and nation. Not they'll come and take away our nation. And we'll lose our place. But they'll come away and take our place. And in fact, we'll lose our nation too. Their place. The Romans will come and take away our place. That's what they're afraid of. That's why they want to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. They can't handle the fact that they'll lose their religious authority. And instead, when you turn the word of God over to someone and says, "You read it for yourself, you search for yourself, and then you are not exerting any authority at all. Now come to me, brother Pat, I don't understand it. what does it mean? And I say, "Well, best that I know from the scripture this is what it means, and you go and search it out. But this is what it says. because we're all brethren. It's not a hierarchy. remember? It's not me at the top and you at the bottom. It's this way. When we read a text like John 11, it's important to remember that our Lord destroyed the Jews' religion. He took the religious power away from the priesthood. When he died, was buried, and rose again and ascended, he, and poured out his spirit upon the local church at Jerusalem. When he died at the cross, he ripped the temple veil from top to bottom. That was the end. That was the finish. The priesthood was needed because the priest would go behind a veil once a year. But Christ died to satisfy all the requirements of that. The priesthood was needed to offer a sacrifice over and over and over and over again. But Christ died to offer one sacrifice forever for those people. Nah. The priesthood was needed as because they were a mediator between God and the people. But Jesus Christ became the priest, the mediator between God and his people. The whole system was taken out of the way. But they continued to try to practice it. I've often wondered. It's 33 or so A.D. Christ has died on the cross. The temple veil is rent. It'll be 37 more years before Rome surrounds Jerusalem and destroys the city so that not one stone is left on top of the other. I often wonder in those 37 years as they kept on practicing their religion, what the high priest was thinking. Caiaphas remained high priest till 38 AD. What was he thinking? What were the priests doing? The temple veil is rent. But they continued their religion anyway. And in 70 A.D., as our Lord prophesied, the Roman government came, surrounded Jerusalem, destroyed it so that one stone was not left upon another. And to this day, Israel has not had a priest or a sacrifice or a temple place. To this day, God destroyed it. Paul writes in the book of Hebrews that it is an old garment folded up and put in the trash. Those who seek to cover the errors of their religion will eventually see our Lord expose them as both unscriptural and anti-scriptural as the Jews did by 70 A.D. I want to draw one more last thought out of these verses. Notice in verse 48, the chief priest and Pharisees say, the Romans shall come. The Romans shall come. These religious leaders were more concerned with the Romans coming and the effect that would have upon their religious standing than they were with the fact that God shall come and the effect that will have upon their eternal state. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. And the Old Testament prophesies of it. They knew. Not only would he come once, but he would come again. The scriptures testify to this fact. Brethren, whatever we do, we should do it with the understanding that one day, our Lord Jesus Christ will return. We will stand before him. And what the world may say or do and what religious men may say and do will have no consequence in that day. We will answer for ourselves, what did we do with the word of God? What did we do with what the scriptures taught? These people are concerned about the Romans coming. They are not concerned about what God might do when he comes. Verse 49, Caiaphas speaks and uh, one of them named Caiaphas, being high priest that same year, said, you know nothing at all, verse 50, for consider nor consider that it is expedient for us. What an amazing statement. I'll get to it in a minute. Expedient for us that one man should die for the people and the whole nation perish not. This he spake. This spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Caiaphas is speaking. He is high priest. He is a member of the Sadducees. We learned that in Acts chapter 4, verse 6, and 5, verse 17. He is among the Sadducees. You know who the Sadducees are, children? The Sadducees are apostate. They don't believe the truth anymore. They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe uh, uh, in, uh, the, uh, in the soul. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe the scriptures anymore. And Caiaphas is the Sadducee. And uh, But he said, he prophesied that Jesus Christ should die. It was the responsibility of the high priest to offer the great atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people each year. And without knowing it, he was to be one of the last representatives of Israel's priesthood. By 70 AD, the temple, the priesthood, Israel's way of worship would be destroyed... With this comment, he unknowingly prophesied and appointed the Lord Jesus Christ as the last offering God would accept. An offering made by the Lord Jesus Christ that would usher in everlasting righteousness. Despite his prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ... Caiaphas spoke first of that which was important to him and the religious leaders. He says in verse 50, it is expedient for us. What an amazing statement. If we're to save ourselves and save our nation, we have to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. Children, can you imagine that? If we're going to save our religion and save our nation, we have to kill the one who says he's our Messiah. What do we learn from this? Man made religion always seeks the preservation of itself first, it does not seek to ask whether it is expedient to consider the souls of those that are under their care. It does not seek to ask whether it is expedient that the word of God should be primary in all of what we do. It does not ask that question. The only expedient thing is how do we survive and how does our religion survive? And you say, Brother Pat, it can't be that. Well, what did he say? It is expedient for us. It's expedient for us. The survival of man made religion always comes down to the same conclusion. The history of mankind proves it. Others must die before our religion dies. Religious history proves this. Why do the nations? try to drive out Christianity? Why do communist nations try to purge their nations of Christians? Why do they do it? Why don't they just leave Christians alone? The Christians weren't seeking to overthrow the the government. They were not seeking to overthrow uh, religion. They were just seeking to live their life before God in the way that they thought was true. Why do the communist nations try to purge out Christianity? Why do nations like Russia and China and and India and Africa try to purge out Christianity? Why why in this nation of ours, there's certain political uh, uh, people with political agenda want to squash Christianity want to shut the mouths of Christians against certain things why if if you believe a certain way uh, it's, it's not my duty to kill you because I don't agree with you but I have the same responsibility I have the same responsibility to speak what I believe and it's not your duty to kill me if you disagree with me do you realize, have you been following the news how many times people are saying, just kill them if they don't believe in climate change. Just kill them if they don't believe in the LBGQTXYZ thing. Just believe, kill them if they, if they don't believe uh, in, in, in this. Just kill them if they don't believe in, in, uh, in, in, in open borders. Just kill them. Do you realize how many times that's been said in the last three years? Why, why, why do you want to kill Christians? Well, I tell you, the survival of their religion, of their way of life, is dependent upon Christians not opening their mouth. Christians open their mouth and say, that's wrong. The Word of God says thus and thus. Somebody might believe that. You know how many laws have been enacted in states all over this country about conversion, anti-conversion for the sodomites? You can't use the word of God with them anymore. It's against the law. Why? Don't they have a choice to believe whatever they want to believe or are they forced to believe what you're telling them to believe? You see, the survival of man-made religion, even humanism, always comes down to the same conclusion. Others must die before our religion dies. That is the record of history. But he prophesies that one man should die for the people, being the high priest that year. He prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation, and not for that nation only, but for others. Quickly. Caiaphas is not a man who is a Christian. He is not a God-called preacher. He's not a God-centered man. The scriptures prove that he's an unconverted apostate. And yet he prophesies. He's not a man who is aware of the Spirit of God being on him. Speaking through the Spirit of God. Here's the question. Quickly. Does God use lost men to prophesy his truth? Is that possible? As soon as you shake your head no, you've got to come back to John 11 and other texts because Caiaphas, an unconverted apostate, is prophesying that Jesus should die for the people and not for the people only, but for all the children of God to be gathered together. I'm going to share one verse. I had a whole list, but I'm running out of time. Matthew 7, 22 and 23. Listen to the scriptures. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, miracles. And then shall I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Ye that work iniquity. Can a man prophesy in the name of Jesus, cast out devils in the name of Jesus, perform a miracle in the name of Jesus, and not be a Christian? Yes. Jesus Christ said, yes. Caiaphas is an apostate. He doesn't believe in the spiritual realm at all. And he prophesied concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that he should die so that all the people of God should be gathered together quickly. Jesus Christ had already said that in John chapter 10 and verse 16. Other sheep I have, and they shall be gathered together so that I have one fold. Is that what he said? John 10 verse 16. Paul the Apostle speaks of it in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. Those that are taking note where he says that Jesus Christ has broken down the middle wall or partition between us and brought us together so that there is one man. One new man. Ephesians 2. 13 through 15. But our Lord also prophesied of it before He left the earth in Matthew 25. And in Matthew 25, 31 to 33, when the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, He shall sit on the throne of His glory and before Him shall be gathered all the nations. And He divides them into two groups. The sheep are on His right hand. The goats are on his left hand. We open up this message this morning with, there's two responses. Those that believe, and those that try, those that do not believe. They took counsel in verse 53 to put him to death. I'll just read one sentence from John Gill, or one statement. They took counsel together to put him to death. This they resolved before there was any legal process, before any crime was charged upon him, or any proof given to put him to death, right or wrong, whether he is innocent or not. They resolved to put him to death. This is what religion does they make the conclusion first he's guilty, he needs to die. No evidence is needed. This is what we think needs to happen. That's the same kind of thing going on today in our country. And then verse 54 quickly. Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went thence unto the country near to the wilderness into a city called Ephraim. Ephraim. And there continued with his disciples. Drop down quickly to chapter 12 verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. The time frame here is very short. We are within days of the cross. John 12 opens up with six days before the cross. There's only a short time left in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He took his disciples aside, he went into the wilderness, he spent time with his disciples. The days following the resurrection of Lazarus produced a revival among some Jews who had previously hated the Lord Jesus Christ. Those same days produced an ever-increasing hatred for the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples, which would culminate in the events associated with the Lord's death at Calvary. Six days till Passover, when they killed the Passover lamb. They saw the resurrection. Some believed, some did not. So here's the two questions that I want to leave with you this morning as we close. What has the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ produced in you? Has it produced life? Or is it producing an ever-increasing darkness? An ever-increasing death? Taking you away from Christ. There's only two possible responses. And I pray this morning that everyone in this room sees Jesus Christ as He set forth in the Scriptures and embraces Him as their Lord and as their Savior. Let's pray together.